So uh, this morning, I'm going to be continuing our uh, Gospel Made Visible series with another sermon on prayer. Uh, Caleb preached last week, basically kind of on prayer in general, or even just like how should we be praying individually um, as, as Christians. So um, this week, I'm going to be preaching on corporate prayer specifically. And when I say corporate prayer, um, if you've grew, grown up around the church, you probably know what that means. If you aren't familiar with that term, corporate prayer means just praying together. So what we just did just a minute ago, that was corporate prayer. Um, I led us, I prayed out loud, and you guys listened and participated in that by affirming those prayers silently with me. That is what corporate prayer is. Um, and so we just did that. We did that numerous times already during the service. Uh, we do that every Sunday. You guys do that in your community groups, um, life transformation groups. Uh, we do that as a church. Um, that's a practice we obviously want to continue and we want to do even more in the future. And that's in part why, why I'm preaching this sermon. Um, and so, so, yeah, that's our topic for this morning. Um, and so... Um, I'm not going to be focusing on, um, it, I'm not trying to argue for prayer in general. Um, Caleb did a great job of showing why we should pray last week. And so I'm going to assume that we all agree we should be doing, uh, doing that, at least privately. We should all be praying as individuals. Um, so again, my goal this morning with this sermon is to answer the question, why corporate prayer specifically? Um, and I, I hope you guys after hearing last week's sermon, have maybe even already been thinking about this question for yourselves. Because as we saw last week, in Matthew 6, 6, Jesus said this, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. So it would almost seem like Jesus was commanding us not to pray corporately in that passage. But that isn't what he was saying. We've got to play close pay closer attention uh, to the text than that. Uh, what was his reason for telling his listeners to pray in private? Um, if you go back and think about it, if you look back at that text, right before that verse 6, he says in Matthew 6, 5, um, that the reason he wanted them to pray in private was so that they wouldn't be like the hypocrites who only pray in public, and this is the key part, that they may be seen by others. The issue was not that they were praying in public. The problem was that, we're, that they were doing it to look good in the eyes of others. They wanted to appear holy and devout, but they were actually just arrogant and self-serving. That was the problem. So Jesus was not forbidding corporate prayer. Um, in fact, I would argue that the Bible commends it and compels us to do it throughout Scripture. And again, that's my goal this morning is to look at why that, that kind of prayer, praying together collectively, is so key and important to the Christian life. Um, and that's how we make the gospel even more visible than we could without it. Um, and I'm going to be doing that by looking at Acts 4 with you guys this morning. So please turn there in your Bibles already. I actually forgot to look up the page. I apologize beforehand. Um, but yeah, if you want to turn to Acts 4, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 33 this morning. 
And in the verses just before our passage, John and Peter were arrested by the Jewish council. So this is very early in church history. Pentecost just happened. Um, They're preaching the gospel to people, and Peter and John have just been arrested by the council in Jerusalem because they're sharing their faith. Um, The council has threatened them and told them to stop telling people about Jesus at this point. And so our passage looks at what those two men did right after they've been released by the council. Um, So if you're already there, great. Um, Let's look at Acts 4, verses 23 through 33 now. So it says this. When they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common." And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, Acts 4 is just one of many examples in Scripture of corporate prayer taking place. Um, Just to list a couple, in Ezra 10, a great assembly of Israelites, they prayed with Ezra and confessed their sins to God. Uh, we see in Nehemiah an incredible passage on, uh, on corporate prayer. In two chapters, in Nehemiah 8 and 9, the entire nation of Israel prayed together and worshiped to God for eight days as Nehemiah read from Scripture. Um, could you imagine us getting together every day for eight days to just spend the entire day just reading Scripture, praying and worshiping God? That's what they did. In Esther 4, Esther calls for all the Israelites to pray and fast together before she was going uh, before the king in her effort to save them because he wanted to put them to death. In in Acts, we've already looked at Acts 4, but we also see in Acts 1, in chapter 2, in chapter 12 and 20, it's explicitly stated that the apostles and churches were praying together. And in all of those examples of praying, of people praying together in scripture, we also see the Holy Spirit blessing them and working in incredible ways. And that's what I want you guys to see this morning. Corporate prayer is vital to the life of the church because we reveal the gospel more clearly and intensely through it. The, t- the togetherness of our prayers 
amplify the gospel in ways that just our individual prayers typically don't. And so we want to we spur on one another in that kind of prayer. Um, I, I was trying to think of different illustrations for this, and one of them that first came to my mind was actually a, like going to a football game. Um, so I'm not really a huge football fan. I'm not into a whole lot of sports. But when I was in college, um, I actually had season passes to the Illini games when I was in undergrad. It's just because I thought it was really fun to go to the games with some of my friends. And one of the things that I noticed was how powerful it was when like a chant would start and everyone was saying the same thing in unison. Because, I mean, typically, if you're at a game, everyone's talking and yelling, but everyone's saying different things at different times. And so there's just kind of this din of a really, really loud noise. There's no coherence to it at all. It's just a lot, of, a lot of loudness going on, typically, when you're at a game. But then, it's always so cool when someone starts like a chant for the team, or maybe um, the band is playing a song, like the, the, the uh, school's um, song. Or, and, and, and all of a sudden, that just super loud noise, all of a sudden, becomes a clear message that's being communicated. A lot of noise becomes something entirely different at that point. When someone starts the chant, everything changes. It becomes a clear message. It becomes words. People are cheering on the team in one unified, incredible voice. And it's awesome to be a part of those things. Those moments are electrifying um, if you've been to, to games like that. Have you ever thought about the fact that corporate prayer is like that? Um, Or for another analogy, uh, think think for maybe those of you who aren't sports fans and like science more. um, I remember learning in physics about how sound waves interact with one another. Um, If you have two sound waves interacting with each other, the amplitude or the intensity or loudness of the sound that's produced by those sound waves interacting Um, is determined by adding the amplitudes together. So you know that sound waves like go up and down, so there's peaks and troughs. If the waves are aligned and their peaks match, they, they intensify one another. It makes it louder. It makes it greater than it was just as two individual different sound waves. However, on the other hand, if the waves are misaligned and the peaks match up with the troughs of the other ones, then they cancel each other out. The sound becomes quieter. The intensity decreases. It becomes softer. Corporate prayer is, in a sense, the way we align our spiritual hearts, our spiritual, the, the spiritual waves of our hearts together as a church so that our prayers to God are amplified and sharpened by one another. In corporate prayer, one person is speaking out loud and as he or she is meditating on the truths of God, asking God for specific things or praising him in particular ways, the others are listening and as they're affirming those prayers together, their hearts are being aligned with the same desires, the same thoughts, the same hopes and promises and joys As one person is leading out in that prayer and the others are silently affirming that, our hearts are aligning on the same truths and beauties of God. And that is amplifying the prayers that in ways that cannot take place just 
as individuals who are praying our own separate thoughts. It's powerful. Um, Our hearts are synchronizing and amplifying one another to become a far greater display of worship than any individual prayer could be by itself. And that's why we pray together. Praying together reveals the gospel more powerfully than praying alone. And that's exactly what we see going on here in Acts 4, which is why we're looking at it this morning. I want to highlight three different ways in which the gospel was made more evident in this passage, specifically because corporate prayer was taking place. And I want to highlight those things because they are things that we can display more powerfully too as a church if we are praying together. We can expect the same kinds of fruit as Redeemer Church if we pray together like the church in Jerusalem did in Acts 4. And so that's my hope that what we'll see this morning. So let's start looking at those fruit, those amplified fruit in a sense of corporate prayer. So first, corporate prayer reveals the gospel by amplifying our trust in hardship. Let me say that again. Our corporate prayer reveals the gospel by amplifying our trust in God in our hardship. We see that very clearly in the prayer that was prayed when Peter and John returned. So look again at the passage with me. Let's look specifically at verses 24 through 30. So this is the prayer, they said. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Redeemer, we don't know the kind of hardship that the church in Jerusalem was experiencing. Now, I don't say that. Hear me say that I'm not saying that to diminish the hardship that you have experienced in your own lives. I know many of you have faced incredible trials. But the reality is that when it comes to persecution, we haven't experienced persecution like they were experiencing in this passage. As far as I know, none of us regularly risk being arrested for telling people about Jesus. As far as I know, the authorities of Champaign-Urbana are not threatening any of us because of our faith. And as far as I know, none of you are in danger of actual physical harm just for telling someone about Christianity. I know that there have been a lot There's been a lot of concern over losing our religious liberties in this country lately. That's a a valid concern. But Christians are not demonized or ostracized here like they were in Jerusalem at the time of, of this writing. For them, choosing Christ actually meant possibly choosing death, even at the hands of people who they considered their friends. 
But Redeemer, that should actually be an encouragement to us because even despite the persecution they faced, the fear that they could have experienced, look at the trust and profound faith in God that they were displaying in this prayer. As the church prayed together, those leading the prayer were able to help the church members remember who their God is. Notice how the prayer is not focused on how scary their predicament is. It's not focused on what could happen to them. It's focused on who their God is, even in the midst of the persecution that they're facing. The leader, the people who are leading out in prayer and helping the others to pray with them are helping them recall not how difficult their circumstances might be, but how glorious their God is who is over and above and in control of those circumstances. He is their sovereign Lord as the prayer started. He is the maker of the heavens and the earth and everything on it. Nothing happens outside of his control and he is the God whose plans cannot be thwarted. Think about it. Think about the gospel Is it not the story of a God saving people by overcoming all of the evil attempts made to try to stop him from doing so? Just like play through the gospel in your mind. First, God created all things good. But then what happens? Satan tries to condemn mankind. He tempts Adam and Eve and they fall. But even with Satan's temptation and their fall, even Even with that, God promised a salvation to come, even in that moment. Then we see as he establishes his people, the Israelites, the people who have made a covenant with him, he will be their God and they will be his people. What do they do? They constantly turn away from him. Time and time again, God saves them. He performs miracles. He performs incredible displays of mercy and grace to them. And what do they do? They try to save themselves. They try to rely upon themselves and they fail miserably. They turn from God. They turn from their maker. They turn from their Lord. But even in that, God time and time again demonstrates steadfast commitment to his covenant to them. He will not let even his own people subvert his promises to them ultimately. He continues to provide and promise a salvation to come. And then that salvation came in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth to save mankind. We see Satan again enter the scene. He tries to tempt, tempt Jesus to sin, and he fails. He can't get the Son of God to sin. Mankind tries to stop him. They kill him. But even that, the the worst act in all of history, the killing of the Son of God could not undermine or subvert or thwart God's plans. In fact, that act was the very act that God used to save mankind. In their killing of Jesus Christ, he was able to take sin upon himself, suffer and die for it, and conquer sin and death so that all those who have faith in him might be recipients of salvation and eternal life. 
The whole gospel is the story of God frustrating the efforts of those who do wrong. And he actually uses those very efforts that they're making against him in rebellion to tell the most incredible story imaginable. It's a story of a God who loves and saves people who do not deserve it, who are constantly trying to like, push back against him, but he saves them nevertheless for their good and because he loves them. That is the gospel. That is a story that they are recalling here in this passage. That's the God that they're remembering, the God who is in control of all things and turns all bad things good in the end. That is the God that they're remembering in the midst of the persecution. That is the God who they're trusting in, in their hardship, and are therefore able to to be steadfast and to persevere. Again, that is the God who they're trusting in as they prayed together in Acts 4. Their collective prayers revealed that in that, their collective prayers revealed that in more powerful ways than it could be otherwise. Don't you think that some of the people actually were fearful in this passage? Don't you think that some of the church members were worried about what, happened, what would happen to them and their families if some of their neighbors found out about their faith or some of their neighbors took offense at it? Of course they were. There were people who were part of this prayer who were probably fearful and desperately worried But as they listened and affirmed the prayers of the apostles, as they recounted God's sovereign control and goodness over all things, they were reminded that they could trust him. Their fears diminished. Their worries would have been comforted. Their corporate prayer changed their hearts and made the gospel more visible, not only in their own lives, but would allow it to be displayed to the world as well. Friends, when we pray together through our hardships, we have the opportunity to reveal where we are putting our hope, just like the church did in Acts 4. Our hope is not in our bank accounts. It's not in our reputations. It's not in our relationships. It's not in doing good and making a positive impact in the world. That's a good thing to desire. That's not where our hope rests. It's not in having good health and living long, good lives. Our hope is in our sovereign God and in his son who came to earth to save us. People tried to stop him. Satan tried to stop him, but they couldn't. God used all of their efforts to accomplish his will. And he's doing the same in our own lives. By dying on the cross, Jesus conquered sin and death. All who have faith in him have been freed from that sin and death and have been given eternal life. That is our hope as a church. That is our hope as we pray together. And as we pray corporately, we're able to magnify and display that more clearly than we could if we're just praying separately. If you are here and you have not placed your faith in Christ, believe and be saved. He went to the cross for you. This world is God's and you have sinned against him. I know that's a hard truth to hear, but it is true. And I think deep down you know that. You deserve punishment. We all do. As Christians, we aren't the ones to say that we don't deserve that. We're the ones that recognize we do deserve it. But Jesus Christ took that upon himself. 
Jesus paid for your sins if you would trust in him. So do that. And in the moment you believe, trust that he has saved you and redeemed you. And if you have questions about that, talk to, talk to someone after service. Come up and find me. Hopefully I can help clarify things and help you think about this more. But talk to someone. And if you are here and you have placed your faith in Christ, then pray with this hope that we're talking about. As you are praying together, that reveals your faith in an amplified, even more clear way. If just one person, think about it this way, if just one person is praying and trusting God in difficult circumstances, of course, that's amazing, that's good. But think about a whole community group praying with confidence in God and in light of God's goodness, despite one of their members just getting terrible news from their doctor. Think about how beautiful that is for a community group to trust in God even though one of their members might be desperately sick, maybe even dying. Or think about how powerful, how magnificent it is for a whole church to be praying together and praising God together though they have just lost an entire family and their congregation to a car accident. We haven't experienced that as a church, but many churches have. Many churches have experienced far worse things than that. But think about how incredible, how momentous that is for a church to come together, even in such desperate, anguishing moments, and to be able to pray with hope in God and his goodness, even at those times. That, that is magnificent. That kind of reaction and trust cannot be explained by the world. And as we pray together through our hardships, that's what we're able to do together as a church. It is powerful. That is making the gospel visible in supernatural ways, and in so doing, we are glorifying Christ so much more than we are just separately as individuals. So Redeemer, let's be that kind of church. Let's pray together in trust in our God and Savior through our hardships. But that isn't the only fruit that our corporate prayer bears. So second, corporate prayer also reveals the gospel by amplifying our passion while on mission for Christ. So again, corporate prayer, secondly, reveals the gospel by amplifying our passion while on mission for Christ. This one, I would argue, is the product of that first one that we just looked at. Look with me at verses 29 through 31 and pay attention to what, what the church was asking God for in this passage. So verses 29 through 31 says this, and now, Lord, this is the tail end of their prayer, Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the whole place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Man, isn't that incredible? The church in Jerusalem is being persecuted. Their leaders are being threatened and some of them will even be martyred soon. But notice what they're asking God for. 
It's not what we're gonna be typically inclined towards asking God for in difficult circumstances. They're not asking for the persecution to end. They aren't praying that people would be peaceful with them and that their circumstances would improve. They're not praying that their lives would be easier or more comfortable. They're praying for boldness in the midst of the persecution they're facing. They wanted to be bold, not comfortable. That sort of mentality only comes from a deep and abiding trust in God. It comes from a heart that knows that God is in control and that he will preserve them, even if it's not in an earthly sense. They know they might die, but they take that risk because they know their salvation is secure in Christ. And it also comes from a deep passion to see the gospel go forth in the world. Their concern is not for their own safety. Their concern is not for their own protection. Their concern is the gospel and the name of Jesus Christ going out into the world. Their concern is the light of Jesus Christ entering dark places. That is their priority right here. And that's incredible. It is a profoundly humble and Christ-centered perspective. They want people to know about Jesus even if they have to suffer for it. Redeemer, our passions are so fickle. And I say that firstly as a personal confession. I, I know my heart, my passion, my zeal for Christ wavers so easily. But I also say that as a warning for us collectively. As we go about our daily lives, so many things are going to vie for our attention. And I know you guys know this. We've got finances to manage. We've got children to teach. We've got jobs to do. We've got a never-ending to-do list at home. And in all of those things, crises come up. The kids get sick. We get sick. Conflict arises. We get bad reviews at work. There's so many different things that can happen. We simply get overwhelmed by everything that we have going on. There's too much to do and too little time to do it. And what happens when we get into that state, that's a state that we are all pretty frequently in, our world shrinks. Our perspective and vision on what is important, it, it shrinks down. All, we, we begin to only see the immediate issues that we need to resolve and deal with. We start to think short term. All of our problems become big and Jesus becomes very, very small. And because of that, our passion for him fizzles out. Our memory of his beauty and goodness fades. And with that, naturally, our interest in telling others about him, it evaporates. We don't invite our neighbor, neighbors over for a meal because we don't have time. We don't ask our coworkers spiritual questions because we have too much to do. We don't do family devotions even because we don't have the energy to do it. We've just been so busy that day. Or at least those are the things that we tell ourselves. Do you see what I'm getting at here? We need things to help us remember what is truly important because we have an endless supply of other things that are trying to tell us that the most important things are actually the least important. 
We need to remember how marvelous it is that Jesus died to save us. We need to remember how remarkable it is that he has saved us despite ourselves and our sin. We don't deserve the incredible gift of salvation that we've been given, but it is ours nevertheless because of Jesus Christ. We need to remember how exciting it is even to help someone learn something new about God. I can't tell you how just like energizing it is to be able to have conversations with people and open someone's eyes to a new reality about God that they hadn't thought about before. I know many of you have experienced that too, but isn't it, easy so, isn't it so easy to forget about that excitement? Forget about how just like glorious that is to see someone else learn something new about our Lord? That is why corporate prayer is so helpful for us. Praying together helps keep our passion for Christ alive. God knows that we are fickle creatures. He knows our frame, as we see said numerous times in scripture. Part of the beauty of the gospel is knowing that we aren't saved by us keeping up our religious devotion. We are not saved because of the zeal that we have for Jesus Christ We're saved because we don't have that zeal all the time and Jesus died for that very thing. That is part of the beauty of the gospel. Even the greatest saints waver and struggle at times. And God has given us corporate prayer as one of his gifts to help us in that reality. It helps us fan the flame in our hearts that are so prone to going out. I can't tell you how many times you guys have helped me in this regard. Whether it's in LTG, whether it's community group, whether it's on Sunday mornings listening to your guys' missional prayers, it is incredible how many times your prayers have been used by God to heat up my cold heart. You guys have had incredible impact on me personally in that, and I thank you so much for that as a church. Your passion is contagious. Know that. The passion that you have and the zeal that you have for God is contagious. So share that with others as you pray with them. If we aren't praying together, that passion isn't going to spread. Going back to what I mentioned before, don't you think that some of the church members in Acts 4 in Jerusalem were scared about the persecution that they were gonna face? Don't you think that some of them had plenty of other worries on their minds before they started praying together? They weren't unlike us. We all come together on Sunday mornings with two dozen different things on our minds, two dozen different things we need to get done, worries that we have, things we're trying to figure out. The same was true for them. Yet they came together, and when they prayed together, something happened. The Holy Spirit enlivened their hearts. He shook the very building that they were in, and they went out sharing their faith boldly from that point forward. Those with sleepy hearts were awakened as they participated in the apostles' prayers together. Redeemer, that will happen to us more and more as we pray together more and more. The more we pray together, the more our focus will be on the mission of Christ rather than the small, temporary issues that so often vie for our attention. 
Worries that now seem big will become smaller as we begin to prioritize the unseen over what is seen. Our zeal and joy to see the gospel go forth in Champaign-Urbana and the world will increase. I believe that. From those corporate prayers, some of us may even sense a call to go and spread the gospel as missionaries. That is something that I pray for often for this church, that as we are praying together, even during the missional prayers that we have every Sunday morning, I hope that that awakens an eagerness in some of you to be those that we are praying for on Sunday morning, to be missionaries, to go out to the world and share the gospel with the lost. I would love to see that happen, and I believe it will if we continue to pray together. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 11, Paul says this, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Do you see the correlation there? Many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. The prayers of many are what led to many people giving thanks. Church family, I'm confident that as we increase in our corporate prayers together, we will see even more lives transformed to the glory of God and see more hearts experiencing thanksgiving and joy in Jesus Christ. I'm confident of that, and I hope you are too. So let's pray together and grow in our passion for Christ. If your passion is cold, seek out someone whose passion is not and pray with them. And if your passion is on fire right now, excellent. Seek out others and pray with them. Share that. Let that be contagious for other people. You never know whose hearts you're jump-starting as you're praying with them. And as we do that with one another, we are making the gospel visible as we remind one another of how glorious our Lord and Savior is. Again, these prayers together amplify the gospel message that we are preaching together and to the world in ways that we can't experience just praying by ourselves. So let's do that. And that relational dynamic in corporate prayer um, bears another fruit too, which is the final fruit that praying together leads to that I want to point out to you guys and look at in this passage. So third, corporate prayer reveals the gospel by amplifying our love for one another. So again, the last thing, this isn't the, this isn't, these aren't the only three things that corporate prayer accomplishes in the life of the church. But these are three things that I very clearly see in this passage and I think we experience too. But again, the third one is that our corporate prayer reveals the gospel by amplifying our love for one another. Look with me again at the passage. Let's look at the final two verses. Um, Acts 4, verses 32 and 33 say this. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony um, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Friends, isn't it interesting the progression of thought that we see here? We were just told, 
just told how the church prayed for boldness and we saw the Holy Spirit come down and grant that, them, grant that boldness to them. But then look at the, the focus shift that we see. All of a sudden, it's talking about how the church members were sharing their possessions with one another, how no one was needy because they were all caring for one another. What's the connection there? The connection is that the love, or let me rephrase that, the connection is that the corporate prayer led to a deepened love and unity within the life of the church. The corporate prayer fostered that within the congregation, and we see the direct results of that being shared. As they prayed together, we see this also at Pentecost. It talks about how they were praying together, and then immediately afterwards, how they shared all their things in common. Praying together will help us deepen our love and care and affection for one another. I heard someone say once before, I've actually heard this a couple times, but it's something along the lines of pray for your enemies because it's really hard to hate someone when you're praying for them. Have you ever heard that before too? If you have, have you actually put that to the test? Have you actually prayed for your enemies before? Or just someone that you're in conflict with? I have, and it's true. I have experienced that reality myself. If you are praying rightly, if you are praying in light of the gospel and in light of the God who loves and shows mercy and grace and forgiveness, if we're praying like that, your love for people will deepen as you are praying for them. And corporately, your love for the people that you are praying with will also deepen. And again, it all comes back to the gospel. Our God is a God who loves and saves those who are deeply unlovely and hard to get along with. He is a God who would sacrifice anything and everything for his people, even though they constantly want to turn away from him. I mean, just look at the apostles, just for a couple of examples. The greatest leaders of the church are those who abandoned Jesus, who rarely listened to him, even when he was with them, teaching them. And in the case of Paul, was even killing Jesus's people. Christians are not the best of the best. We are those who recognize that we are the worst of sinners. Jesus died to save the very people who put him on the cross. That is love and that is our God. So it makes sense then that if we are talking to that God in our prayers, if we are reflecting on him who is love, our love is going to grow at the same time. It's going to grow for him and it's gonna grow for each other and for the lost. And that's what we see here in Acts 4. As the church members were praying together, their love for one another grew. They became sensitive to one another's needs and they saw opportunities to meet them. And Redeemer, that will happen to us too. I'm confident of that. This church already does such a great job of caring for one another's practical needs. I believe that if we pray more together, we will see that just continue to increase. And we will see an increase in our ability to care for one another's spiritual needs also. 
We are doing that, but we will continue to do that more as we seek God together. Not only will we start to see needs that exist within the church that we weren't even aware of previously, but we'll be more eager to meet them because our affection for one another will grow. There's few things that you can do that are more intimate with another person than praying with them. Um, I heard that quote once from, I, I don't even remember who it was. It was a, um, a really well-known pastor theologian. And I, I remember being struck by that. Because, and I was struck by it because at the moment I questioned the reality of that statement. Um, I was like, is prayer really that intimate of an activity that you can do with someone. And, and it really convicted me in that moment as I was reflecting on it. It's like, if, I, if I'm questioning that reality, then I don't see how profound prayer actually is. Um, and so I encourage you guys, no, prayer is incredibly profound and intimate an experience that you get to share with other people even daily If we pray with one another, we will love one another. And that love will be a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will make the gospel even more powerfully visible as we, as we do that more and more. I want to conclude with this. Paul says this in Ephesians 3, uh, verses 8 through 12. He says, To me... Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And here's the part I want you guys to focus on. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Church, it is through us that the manifold witness of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, part of the purpose of the church, our church, Redeemer Church, Part of our purpose is to reveal God's wisdom to heavenly beings like angels and demons. Do you ever think about that? I remember the first time, this was years ago, the first time that that reality struck me. It is so easy to think about the earthly testimony and witness that we are supposed to be as a church we have been given the Great Commission. We're supposed to go out to the ends of the earth and share the gospel with people. We want to make Jesus Christ known on earth. That is our testimony and witness. But that is not our only testimony and witness. There is another whole dimension, spiritual dimension, of our testimony and witness that we have as Christians and as a church to even angels and demons as we come together as a church on Sunday mornings or as community groups or as LTGs or just as families getting together, sharing meals together, sharing time together, we are displaying God's glory and wisdom to spirits. 
We are a light and testimony, not only to the earth, but to, to the heavens. This very morning, as we're gathered together, like I've already said, we are testifying to what have we already talked about, the trust that we can have in God, the hope that only he can provide us, the sufficiency that only is provided through Jesus Christ. We are providing testimony, not only to the world, but to the heavenly beings of that reality this morning. We are giving testimony of the passion that only God and his spirit can awaken in dead people. We are giving testimony as we pray together this morning of the love that only the gospel can spur us on towards, a love that is utterly self-sacrificial and humble. The angels and demons are watching that. So, I mean, think about that. Even if the world outside these doors doesn't know that's what's taking place this morning, they do, the spiritual beings do. We are being a testimony to them and to the world. So Redeemer, let's pray together in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and show them who our God is. Let's amplify the gospel through our corporate prayer. Let's pray together because praying together reveals the gospel even more powerfully than praying alone can. So let's do that now. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, God, it is... I was just talking with Gretchen before service about this. God, it is no surprise to me that if you just look at all of the revivals that have taken place over the last couple hundred years, they've all been started because a group of people were getting together and praying regularly. God, you do incredible things through corporate prayer, through your people coming together and praying together with one heart and one soul and one mind and one desire to glorify the name of your son, Jesus Christ. God, help us be a church that is known for that. <laughs> known not only here in Champaign-Urbana, not only here in the world, but even known to the angels and demons as a church that gives incredible testimony of your gospel through our prayers together. Help us to be that church by your spirit to the glorious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.